Well, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, people who have clicked on this website. We're so thankful that you have chosen to uh, go through this service with us. And uh, man, we are just so thankful to, to have you with us to do church together. And just that you know, our heart is that uh, you are connected to a local body, uh, a local church, a local community, and that this service is just meant to be a supplement. If you're traveling or if you're away sick, uh, we hope and pray that uh, you're okay and safe travels. Uh, but man, we are so appreciated that you are with us, and we hope that uh, we just have a, a great time together. Well, my name is Chris, and I'm one of the pastors here, and I have a few announcements for you. The first one is uh, we're just so, uh, we love praying for you. Uh, we uh, we love praying for our people. Uh, even if you come to the church, you don't, you're just watching. Uh, so if you have any prayer requests, we would walk. We would love to walk with you through prayer this week. You can text your prayer requests to 97,000, 97,000. You can do it right now now, if you just text 97,000 your prayer requests, they will be received, and uh, we find it uh, to be an honor to be able to pray with you throughout the week. Uh, second thing is, we have a lot happening uh, every single week with men's events, women's events, high school, junior high, children's, you name it, there's something for every age group, and uh, there's just a lot happening, and we want to make sure that you have access to that information, so you can go on our website at agorabible.org at any time, or our church center app, and you can find all of that information. You can email us any additional questions uh, that you might have for us, so we want to make sure that you uh, know where to go to find that stuff. Lastly, uh, we are just so thankful for your ongoing generosity. We can't do what we do. Uh, this church can't exist and the ministries can exist without your faithful giving. And uh, we would be so appreciated if you uh, would um, consider making a donation. You can do that on our website or on the Church Center app under Donate and Give. Well, before we get into God's Word, I'm going to pray for us and uh, we'll get to it. Father God, we just thank you so much for a time to be able to open up your word, to be able to dig into your love letter to us, Lord. And I just pray, Lord, that you open our eyes and our ears and our hearts to what you want us to get out of this message, Lord. And we're so thankful for your ongoing grace and mercies, Lord. And we just pray, Lord, that the Holy Spirit nudges us to hear and to act and to respond exactly what you want us to, Lord. We love you so much. It's in your name we pray, amen. Uh, thanks, Chris, so much for uh, giving us that update today. It's so great to be back with you. It's been a long time. So to commemorate, I'm wearing my Dodger shirt. And uh, we begin this new series called 10 Questions Jesus Asked. And, uh, but I thought I'd have a little fun since we just came off of Camp ABF and I just survived eight days with my grandkids. You know, kids get some crazy things in their minds and uh, I think one of the things that I like are these letters to God. Here's a few of them just to get us started. Dear God, I want to be just like my daddy when I get big, but not with so much hair all over. Or how about this one? Dear God, I bet it's very hard for you to love all of everybody in the whole world. There are only four people in our family. I could never do it. Or how about this one? Dear God, maybe Cain and Abel would not kill each other so much if they had their own rooms. It works with my brother. And then how about these last two? I thought uh, Sunday school, why is Sunday school on a Sunday? Wasn't it supposed to be a day of rest? And then lastly, thanks for the birthday. But, you know, I was really hoping and praying for a puppy and not a brother. So let's have some fun this morning. We're going to look at this series, uh, 
Jesus' first question is the title of my uh, message this morning, and we'll, uh, we'll reveal what that question was. And while you're uh, turning to Luke chapter 2, you might be thinking, what was his first question? And here's something I want uh, you to think about. If you haven't already downloaded the notes from uh, our website, go ahead and do that. But I want to ask you a question. Why would you ask a question when you already know the answer? We see Jesus loved to ask questions. In fact, we think that he probably asked over 300 questions in the Gospels alone, and we're going to look at 10 of those in our series this summer. But he never asked a question he didn't already know the answer to. So why did he ask him? Did there, was there a purpose beyond the obvious? Well, let's start from the beginning. So let me suggest two reasons why he did that. Number one, his questions often were to show mastery of the subject, not to gain information. For instance, some of you grew up uh, memorizing the Westminster Catechism. What is the chief goal of man? To love God and enjoy him forever. It's a way of repeating and understanding and mastering that content. And so you see from a very young age, he's about 12 years old, he, he has quite this intellectual capacity. The second reason he asks questions is in Jewish rabbinic tradition, they use the Socratic approach of Q&A. Um, it was a part of that tradition for a very, very long time. And so he, he didn't show off, though, to impress his teachers like some college students do today, and you will just leave it at that. You know, if you've ever been in a college class when a kid want to kind of kiss up to the teacher. He wasn't arrogant at all, but it, he is asking questions uh, that we'll find out in just a moment. Now, let's give you a little bit of the backstory, point two from verses 41 to 47. We'll get started here, and we'll call this left behind. Here's the occasion, verses 41 and 42. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover, and when he was 12 years old, they went up according to the custom. Uh, you got to know Mary and Joseph are super obedient, very devout Jewish followers. They're coming home from Jerusalem after the Passover, otherwise known the uh, Feast of Unleavened Bread. And that's in March or April. And it's one of the big three festivals. Uh, in fact, males uh, 21 and over uh, were required to actually come. The other two, by the way, are uh, the weeks, uh, Festival of Weeks, or Pentecost. We see that in Exodus 34, and that's seven weeks in a day, or 50 days after Passover, and then the Festival of Booths, which would happen in September, October. We find that in Leviticus 23. So they were required to attend those, and in the first century, uh, they eventually reduced that requirement to just attending this one festival. Uh, interesting to note, Mary wasn't required to come, but she wanted to be there. So when it says they went, this is an idea, uh, I won't geek you out with too much Greek, but it's what we call the iterative imperfect. In other words, there was a habitual pattern. They just did this uh, over and over again. And so it wasn't because uh, they just kind of casually did it. It was something they were really uh, planning on to do every single year. And of course, let's be reminded, what is the Passover? That is that idea where God passed over Israel uh, in executing the tenth and final plague in Egypt, in the book of Exodus, we've seen that. And of course, all the Egyptian firstborn uh, kids were taken, but the Jews were spared by putting a spot of blood on their doorposts. And so it says he became 12 in verse 42. So this is very close to his, what we would call bar mitzvah. 
uh, as a boy. A girl would have been a bat mitzvah today. And when he became a man, or what they would call the son of the law, this would have been his 12th birthday, and that would be one year before he officially uh, became an adult Israelite and accepted the responsibility of all that entailed. And that would occur the next year. And though his official Jewish bar mitzvah ceremony may not have existed in Jesus' day, it's uh, very similar to what they were doing in Roman coming-of-age rituals back in that day. So it's possible that Luke recorded his age to show how fully developed, and you're going to see that, that he's a very balanced young man here in just a few minutes. And obviously, by this time, Jesus already knows who he is and what his purpose on planet Earth is. We'll We'll look at that in detail in just a moment. Well, let's see the oversight. What happened? Uh, what happened? And when the feast was ended, as they were trained, that's Mary and Joseph and that big entourage of people, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it, but supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey, a day's journey. But then they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances, and in verse 45, and when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. You got to imagine the panic that's going on. The feast has ended. They stayed the full seven days. They didn't ditch. They didn't take shortcuts. Um, they didn't do the bare minimum. They were there, and then they take off. When you think about taking shortcuts, it reminds me when I was at Biola University a long, long time ago, they had this thing called our annual missions conference, which they just had a few months ago. And you'd have to go to so many, quote, required sessions. And then a lot of people just went to the beach. Uh, I was kind of a good little Boy Scout. I loved going to all of those, whether I was required to or not. So I can relate to that, that they were just mailing it in, so to speak. But the parents did not know, or literally it means they did not or were unaware. So it's a long family caravan. Typically, the men walked in the front, the women in the back. Children played usually near the back. Uh, with their friends, and it was a long entourage moving down uh, as they traveled back home, and they traveled separately. Now, you can imagine how this happened. Each parent, Mary and Joseph, thought the other uh, had Jesus with them, and so they didn't really notice that first day. Dad just assumed he's in the back with his mom or the other kids and vice versa, and he actually accidentally gets left behind. So what movie does that remind you of? Of course it does, Home Alone. Kevin McHauser gets left behind. But I have a real life story of when we were, uh, I was pastoring in, in Minnesota. Uh, I think our kids were like about seven and 10. And sure enough, uh, we lived 14 miles away in Eden Prairie, Minnesota. And Cheryl thought, I had John Daniel. Uh, I thought she had John Daniel. And he left him at the church, and we get a call from one of our staff guys said, hey, we brought John Daniel home. He was kind of wandering around after church, and uh, we sheepishly went and picked him up. So they went a whole day's journey. So these caravans would stop about 8 to 10 miles from Jerusalem, but a normal day would be up to 20 miles. And so they weren't bad parents, but they were panicked parents. And can you imagine this, the, the irony? How do we lose this, the, the Savior of the world? How, how do we do that? Uh, he's here to save all mankind, and, and we've lost the boy. And so they kind of uh, panic, and of course, they're going to have to make their way back. But I think there's application for us. 
See, we lose track of Jesus in our own lives, in the busyness of life. Sometimes we don't even recognize that we've lost him because we've traveled miles away from him in our spiritual journey. And oftentimes, there's nothing inherently wrong with what we're doing. It's just that we're so busy that we leave Jesus behind in the dust, and we start doing our own thing. And I pray that's not the case with you today. Well, let's see the outcome. What are they going to do? Verses 46 and 47, after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, well, that would include the rabbis and the scribes and others, listening to them, that's very important, listening to them, but then asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. So after three days, so here's what happened. They travel a day. They realize they don't have him at the end of the first day. They travel back a day. That's day two. And now they're on day three. They're hunting frantically all over Jerusalem, trying to locate where Jesus is. And of course, they find him discussing theology with the teachers in the temple. Now, that was a pretty common occurrence. The teachers of the law would sit out in the court of women, which was the outermost court uh, outside the temple. And there he is listening and asking questions according to verse 46. Now, this was very uh, practical stuff. They did this a lot. Hillel and Shammai both were teachers that did and practiced that. And so he just was following the custom of the time. We don't know how many people were there, but it was more than just him and the teachers. There were probably other uh, students uh, studying with rabbis there listening as well. And so as they ask these questions, then the, the teachers respond. And so some try to say that Jesus is trying to school the, the scribes and the teachers and trying to kind of show off, but that's not at all what was happening. In fact, he's learning from them. He's asking those questions, but they're amazed at the questions and his understanding of their answers, etc. And so they're asking questions, they're asking questions of the students, and then he responds. And that's where he kind of shines. That's a reminder to all of us, James 1.22, that we should be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. So sometimes we're so quick to interrupt and we want to we want to make our point, but so often the way uh, we learn and learn best is if we just take a time to, to hear other people, to read God's word. In fact, here's an application. As you study God's word, take the time to ask questions of the text. Don't just settle for the obvious. What is, what's behind the meaning of the text? What's the application for today? So, he did his best, uh, and so in verse 47, um, they're amazed at his understanding. Now get this, he probably speaks three languages by then, Aramaic, Hebrew, Greek, and if you're God, who knows how many languages he needed. He didn't uh, have any uh, tutorials, he just could do it. And it says that this wasn't a one-time thing where they asked him one question, he gave one answer. It's again, again, a little, uh, little geek, uh, Greek lesson an imperfect middle indicative. In other words, it was a repeated experience. He didn't just get one question right. He got multiple questions right. He wasn't just lucky, uh, but this was his chance to interact with some of the great rabbis of his day. Here's the sad thing. About 20 years later, these same rabbis would not listen to him as an adult. In fact, they would go from amazement to anger, and ultimately he would be crucified. Well, point three, lost and found, verses 48 to 52. 
We'll look at a mother's anguish. And uh, before we look at a mother, uh, Mary's anguish, let me just read it to you, and then uh, we'll have a little fun with this. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. Both of them were. And his mother in particular, not Joseph, his mother says to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching you in, uh, in great distress. Uh, stress. And you can imagine, go, que lastima. She's just beside herself and she's kind of chiding Jesus a little bit. We'll look at his response here in a moment, but she's clearly distraught. And it reminds me of little known quotes from famous moms throughout history. How about Paul Revere's mother? I don't care where you think you have to go, young man. Midnight is past your curfew. Or how about Mona Lisa's mother? After all that money your father and I spent on braces, Mona, that's the biggest smile that you could give us? Or how about Humpty Dumpty's mother? Humpty, I've told you once, I've told you a hundred times not to sit on that wall. But would you listen to me? No. Or how about Columbus's mother? I don't care what you've discovered, Christopher. You still could have written. Or how about Michelangelo's mother? Mike? can't you paint on walls like other children? Do you have any idea how hard it is to get that stuff off the ceiling. And then two more. How about Batman's mother? It's a nice car, Bruce, but do you realize how much the insurance is going to be on this thing? And lastly, how about Goldilocks' mother? I've got a bill here for a busted chair from the Bear family. You know anything about this, Goldie? <laughs> and so we know that moms lovingly care for their kids, and Mary is just like every other mom. So the question is framed in astonishment. Literally, the parents were uh, blown away as they watched him interact with the religious leaders. Imagine they were just peeking in. They, they were astonished. They didn't rush right in, probably listened a little bit, and then have this interaction. Now, I think that many of you parents think your child are superior in, uh, in intellect, and I've got an A student at so-and-so school on your bumper uh, sticker on your car, uh, but they really had the right to brag about this kid, didn't they? Uh, and we, we think our kids are special, uh, but this kid, Jesus, was really special. Well, it helps if you're God, right? And so Mary's question assumed that Jesus should care about her distress. The irony is, the irony is that, remember, they left him. <laughs> he didn't ditch them. They left without him. And so uh, I just think it's kind of funny. And so here's the question. So we've, we're into this now. What is the question? All right, here it goes. And, drum roll, please. And he said to them, uh, why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And I think he kind of said it very politely, uh, very respectfully, but also being God, he maybe didn't give them, he, he doesn't realize they don't know uh, where he'd be. And so these are the first recorded words of Jesus. And also in this text, this is the last time that we actually see Joseph. Many people think that sometime after this experience, maybe Joseph dies or he works with Jesus for a while, but there's no mention of him after this time. And so Jesus knows his purpose and origin at a very, very early age. So he wasn't dis disrespectful. He's not chiding. He's not scolding. He's just stating a fact. Now, the question is, what did Jesus do? He's there for two nights. Is he caught up in the moment? Forget the time? Where did he sleep? These are all questions I want to ask when I get to heaven. Uh, but here's what happens next in verse 50. So there's a parent's confusion. 
Here's what's interesting. Very simple comment, verse 50, and they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. Didn't you know why you're looking for me? Why don't you know I'd be about my father's business? They didn't understand that. They didn't comprehend that. They still don't quite understand what it means to be having the Messiah, the Savior of the world, Jesus, as their son. And of course, um, he would have have to have been about his father's business. Jesus often speaks in parables to confuse the religious elite, but he also uses it to teach the spiritually sensitive. And so I think this is a very delicate situation. This section, ironically in Luke 2, if we go back, began with a visit to the temple when he was presented to the Lord and then ends with his, in his father's house as well in Luke chapter 2. Well, we see a son's obedience in verse 51. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. By the, that's not the first time that that'll have, that that treasuring thing happened. Remember the first time in Luke two nineteen at his birth she treasured all these things in her heart as well, and so it says he went down with them and they came to Nazareth. They're going back home. This is the last mention of Joseph as I've mentioned, uh, and so the couple had several other children. I won't go into all that, but you can see that in the Gospels. So what's more important? I think the importance of this is that he was submissive to them. He continued in subjection to them. He was under their authority. He's God, my goodness, he's God, and yet he is still in submission to his earthly mother, Mary, and his, his uh, in a sense, stepdad, uh, Joseph. One little uh, final little Greek tidbit here. This is in an imperfect passive in other words, he was continually subject to them. And uh, the law is very strict about this in Deuteronomy 21. So Jesus grew up in a, in a very typical Jewish household, uh, obeying and following the normal Jewish rules for children. I think that's a great example uh, for you kids watching today online and for those of us who are uh, raising high school and young adults if you're living at home, which Jesus was, and by the way, it looks like he lived at home till he was 30. Some things have never changed here in this day culture. But we need to learn from his example, this idea that all of us are under submission to somebody, whether it's a parent or a boss. Uh, in the real world, there are chain of command and things where we have to be in subjection. So she takes it all in. The enormity of what lies ahead for her son is maybe not quite fully realized by her. But we see then his growth, a Savior's growth, and this life balance in Jesus' life in Luke uh, 2.52, which a lot of parents want to make this kind of the goal. Is it a model for child development? Well, it's certainly a model for a child who's God, uh, and they might be aspirational goals, but this balance is something that maybe you've thought about as you are raising your kids. There are four areas where he distinguished himself. First, he had wisdom. He applied truth intellectually. And there's a difference with knowledge and wisdom. This is wisdom. This, uh, many people have head knowledge, but they're not streetwise. And I think uh, you need both in this world uh, to survive. Then it says... He grew in stature, in other words, in age, or physically he matured. He physically matured. 
And then he grew in favor with God. He pleased God spiritually. And then lastly, he in favor with God and men, he developed socially. So intellectual, physical, spiritual, and social development. A recipe for a well-balanced kid growing up. So what are our applications today? Real life applications for today. Let me suggest um, that there are a couple, uh, maybe four. Number one, our calendar reflects our priorities and values. Our calendar reflects our priorities and values. Obedience to God is seen in what we sacrifice for him. Now, sometimes we're not sacrificing quote unquote animals today, uh, but Mary and Joseph made it a priority, the religious priority, the spiritual priority to get to Passover every year. Every year it says. I think for many of us, we take such a casual approach to church and going to church and whether we're serving or whether in a small group and our casual approach in missing church. And I got to ask you a question. I'm asking myself this. Uh, is really that soccer tournament really more important that week after week we see our kids not in church? And I'm not here to scold. I'm not here to chide. I'm just asking the question, how do you balance all that? What are you going to do to make that up? Because you get one chance to raise your kids, and they see the model that we're creating in our own families. Enough preaching and probably enough meddling. Number two, we often look for Jesus in all the wrong places. They were frantic, and it took them on the third day after, we don't know how long in that third day once they're back in Jerusalem, but they finally find him, and they go to the temple. Where do we go to look for Jesus? How often are we looking for Jesus in self-help books, experiences, worldly wisdom? We got to go to the source. And so Jesus is right where he is supposed to be. And if we're not experiencing Jesus, we should maybe ask if the problem's not with him, maybe the problem's with us. Maybe it's because Jesus is where he always is and where he's supposed to be. Be where Jesus is as you seek him out in your life. There's a little book, My Heart Christ Home, and I encourage you to read it about how we spend time with God and, and look forward to that time. Then thirdly, Jesus models honor in relationship to his parents. Honor in relationship to his parents. This one is really an interesting idea. Now, he's only 12, and he should be honoring his parents, but submission to parental authority teaches us that that's part of the character development of young boys and girls. Uh, Ephesians 6, 1 and 2, it comes with a blessing. Honor your father and mother that your days may be long upon the land. And so uh, I would just say to the kids listening to today that as you think about this, God's going to teach you through your parents. And you say, yeah, but you don't know my parents. I do know your parents, maybe more than you realize. But that's not the point. The point is, God's will for kids, that's the only uh, imperative to kids in Scripture, is children obey, a.k.a. honor your parents. Then lastly, we get this from Mary's example. Take time to ponder what God is doing in your life today. Again, I mentioned it earlier, but we move so fast at a frenetic pace that we don't really take time to reflect uh, and ask God, what is it you're trying to teach me? What is it you're trying to teach me? Well, this past few months, I've had to really slow down. Some of you know that I had a little trip and uh, completely shredded my rotator cuff and 
I've been in a, a sling, so I'm glad not to be wearing it uh, as you're watching this today. But it has slowed me down. I've had a lot of time to think and reflect, and I'm so grateful that uh, I finally got surgery a month ago, and I'm in physical therapy. But I think God has a bit of, of a sense of humor. Now, retirement, I've sped up, man. I'm, I, I, there's no moss sitting under my feet. But this setback, this injury, no golf, maybe no golf till 2024. And so I've learned to ask this question during this time. It's not uh, why. What I'm asking God is, Lord, what do you have next for me? And I've had some long times with God alone and just listening, reading, reflecting. And um, it's been a bit of pretty good month for being as inactive as I am. And so that's our last takeaway today. Take time to ponder what God's doing in your life today. And so if you'd just bow your head and close your eyes, I want to close this message. I know you're watching from home or somewhere, uh, but I want you to take some time to just think about what God's saying to you today. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this model. Jesus' first question is, why are you looking for me? Did you not know that I'd be in my Father's house? May that be true of us, that as a Christ follower, that our calendar would reflect our priorities, that we'd look for Jesus where he should be, not where we uh, are running so fast away from him. That, Lord, we would take the time to ponder these things. And we'll just thank you so much for this example of Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen.